welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey, Bridge, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Good, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, no problem. So, Bridge, before we even get involved, I guess usually the first the first question I ask my guests is kind of what um what what's your tagline? Can you remember the one which you which you gave me? I can. It didn't actually take me too long, surprisingly. It was uh, just a guy with too many tattoos and not enough corporate common sense. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And I'm sure we will get into that. <laughs> you, you responded to that. It could have been you as well. So there might be a bit of a pattern going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it definitely is. So, I mean, before we even get into this, how many tattoos have you got? Uh, I've got? I've got five. Okay. But my arms are fairly fairly well covered like the inside of my arms so if i'm walking down the street with my arms at my sides you might not be able to see any but then if you're sitting in front of me and i'm and i'm wearing like a short sleeve top or something you can see four out of five of them. and then i've got one on my shoulder as well getting another one in october as well oh nice so, yeah so what, what... And then just the teardrops under the eyes after that did, yeah, have you got a couple of spider webs on your elbows and stuff as well? No, but I am getting live, laugh, love somewhere. I've just got to find uh, the most obvious place in my body to get it. Yeah, that, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing that one. So, oh, yeah. which, hey. <laughs> which, where's, which one is your favourite tattoo? Ooh, my favourite tattoo. So I've got one. Um, I've got one on my upper right arm, which is a. It's like a sketch. So it's, it's, it doesn't look like most tattoos you see in that it's not just kind of um, block or, or realistic or realism, photorealism. Um, it looks much more like an artist sketch. And it's of a woman who looks a little bit sad, a little bit pensive. She's got her eyes closed and she's just got her head tilted down slightly. Um, and it's just kind of her upper body. It kind of cuts off around her waist, which is also where it meets my elbow. Okay. So what made you get that tattoo? So I think this was after a handful of probably failed relationships. I sort of thought to myself, what am I doing wrong? What is it I do in my love life that ends up turning a handful of these relationships that I've had sour? <laughs> Okay. So I basically, and, and I still don't have an answer. I think I'm probably just a really difficult person. But I've, I got it as a reminder to me to be more considerate and more balanced in my relationships in the future. And they're not, and not just kind of romantic relationships. Until about all relationships, I suppose, to to try and bring a little bit more balance to that. Okay. Okay. Decent. I like that. I like it. So. I asked you a question. Usually, I, I tend to only ask like two questions, and first one is what's a logline, and then the second one is kind of, you know, when you was in school, mm. and the teacher would say to you, kind of, what you know, what is um, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was the answer you'd give him, Bridge? So, I'm not sure how long I wanted to do this, but I do vividly remember that the 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 first thing I remember wanting to do was be an engineer. Um, and I don't know why I wanted to do that, except I think I I wanted to design a car. I wanted to like build a car 
which is weird because I'm not into cars. I'm not one of those guys that's all about like, you know, this is, um, you know, an Audi, whatever it is and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for some reason I was really interested in kind of how it all fitted together and how it all worked. Okay. And then I got a bit older and, and I kind of sucked at maths and physics, which it turns out about the two main things you need for it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it was definitely the first thing I remember really wanting to do. Okay. Okay. So, so, okay. I mean, let's, let's just jump straight in. So everything you think you know about, well, I guess everything what we talk about on here is, is, is going to kind of, it dips in between, you know, your personal and professional life and, and any questions which I, which I'm going to ask you, you know, kind of, yeah, take it as a personal or, or you can go professional with it. I really don't mind. Okay. But I guess for, for kind of the people who don't know who you are, maybe you can mm. give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of who you are and where you come from to where you are right now. Yeah, okay. So I guess, you know, I'll skip over the kind of early life stuff or summarise it. Okay. In that, you know, academia, school, all of that stuff. I wasn't I wasn't really kind of a, a super academic, high-performing kid. And I never was, you know, primary school secondary school a levels um for for a period of time I, I very much thought about not going to university or not even doing a levels actually um and i kind of had these pretty average grades um just kind of went to university probably had too much fun didn't do enough work but scraped scraped uh two one then i found myself being an adult which was something that was just really uncomfortable for me because I didn't know how to do that. And I, and I think a lot of people kind of feel like that when they leave university or first, you know, first start paying the bills and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I ended up doing a graduate scheme at Network Rail um, in IT. It wasn't like a very technical IT job, but I really just took it because I, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And although the first, certainly the first year or so there, I was you know, doing different projects and things like that, that I didn't really enjoy. I think it, it kind of showed me here is a set of stuff that, you know, you don't want to do. So don't do that anymore. Um, and, and because it was a, you know, a grad scheme and all that kind of stuff, I had the opportunity to kind of move around, go to other parts of the business, ended up doing more kind of change transformation work, which I actually did enjoy. But um, partway through that grad scheme, I had a death in my family, so my dad passed away. And I was, I was living in um, Milton Keynes at the time, because that's where this job was based, and my family, family home is in London. And um, you know, for, for lots of different reasons, I, I needed to be closer to them after that happened. So I started looking for, for jobs in London, and um, a lot of the people I was working with were, they were former consultants previously, like they'd worked in management consultancy jobs and all that kind of stuff. So I, um, and I, I really kind of respected them. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of these kinds of jobs in London. It will give me a chance to, to travel. The money's pretty good. It sounds like, you know, a really good thing to try and get into. So, you know, I spent a little while looking and interviewing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I ended up with... I think it was three, two or th three offers, and I took I took one of them, um, the one that paid the most, at uh, PA Consulting, oh, and yeah. then I spent 
yeah so then i spent four years there and i did lots of different things there so so yeah, danny you and i know each other more or less through nick and and some of the people that used to work with nick at bp um and when i first got to pa nick wasn't there charlie charlie neen wasn't there Gemma critchley wasn't there all of these people um and i was doing more kind of program management project management stuff um which was all right and actually you know my first couple of years there i think i learned more than i had in in a very very long time over a much longer period of time you know i, I got a huge amount out of it the the kind of the level of challenge the uh, the kind of hands-off support the sorts of things that are expected of you in, a, in an environment like that are just really tough and it got me it got me really competent really quickly and it started to take me away from this person where I used to be where I was a bit of a waster didn't really care about school just kind of wanted to have fun um into someone who was quite driven and 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 cared about the kind of work that I was doing and took a lot more pride in it and then um along came Nick Shackleton Jones and his his band um into PA um it's like cool in the gang, isn't it? Nick Shackleton Jones in the band. They um, they joined PA. I'd been there for maybe a year and a half at that point. And um, I just moved out of that kind of projects and programs world into more of the kind of HR consulting space, which which was the bit that Nick joined as well, Nick and the team. And, you know, I ended up working on some projects with them and ended up being part of that team and spent a few years there kind of working on a, on a few different projects. Um uh, you know some some pretty big big names good names actually kind of like face um we did a little bit of work with facebook very very small just kind of going and speaking to their l and d teams uh but bigger pieces of work with like the u n over in new york um johnson and johnson as well in new jersey lots of really interesting cool work in in digital learning uh and then I started to get the itch. I started to feel like maybe consultancy wasn't for me. Maybe I wanted to be on the other side of the table, you know, making decisions or, or directing directing the work we do from a more kind of strategic perspective rather than just doing the doing. So over about maybe a year, I um, spent some time looking at uh, other jobs out there. Eventually, um, <clears throat> actually, for our for our uh, mutual acquaintance Charlie Neen uh, heard about the current gig that I'm at with Legal in General, so I went in and spoke to them, found out a bit about the business, found out a bit about the role, um, handed in my notice at PA, and got absolutely wasted at the Christmas party, which was also my last day. Uh, and, and I mean, I mean, I mean, royally wasted. So uh, you've never seen anything like it, Danny. Um, okay. I, yeah, I know. Um, and and that was it. That took me to January this year, and I've been at, and I've been at Legal in General for just over four months now. Okay, so so I guess kind of how's that transition been from kind of going, you know, from kind of a more I'm going to say this wrong, but you know, take it out in in the positive way. But from kind of a doing role to the more strategic thinking role, how, how have you found that transition? Bloody difficult. Um, I I actually found it really hard, and I didn't know I was finding it hard for a little while. 
and I underestimated how hard it is. Because you, you, you come out of an environment in the consultancy where you're doing so much more day-to-day than you thought you'd be able to do, that you leave and you think nothing could be more difficult than that. And actually, it's not a case of what's easier and harder and all of that kind of stuff. It's actually a case of one role is very different to another role. And unless you actually recognize that and say to yourself, I'm not a consultant anymore, I'm doing something else. I can't rely on all the stuff that made me a good consultant. I have to be good in this job in its own right. Um, You're bound to kind of run into some struggles. And I think the main thing that I walked away after the first few months of it from was um, I treated it like a race in the way that you kind of treat your consulting projects because they're, you know, you have a certain amount of money, you have to do it in a certain time, you have to deliver deliverables. Whereas actually, I should have spent more time getting getting to know people, uh, understanding the business I was working in. And I shouldn't have been in such a rush to kind of say, this is, you know, this is what I know will work. And I just want to get on with it and do it. Um, so the transition, if I'm honest, was the hardest transition I've had in any job. And it's still happening, still ongoing. I'm still moving into it, I think. But I'm, I'm grateful now, at least, that it's kind of been pointed out to me that I might be struggling with it. And uh, that's the first step for me, is knowing that it's not the easiest transition and doing things differently. I guess it's kind of hard to even practice that before being in that situation. You know, you. I, I mean, when I think about it, like, you know, when we talk about you actually learn by doing, mm. I, you know, I, I guess it's 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 hard for you to in to kind of mimic that transition before actually going in and, and actually just doing it, and especially in in a new business where you don't know how that business works. So, yeah, definitely. I think like because I I'd, I'd worked in the industry before before I went to PA, but it was it's just a completely different level. Um, you know, I left the last company I was in before PA at, you know, a reasonably junior level. Um, at best, you would probably categorize it as, like, lower management. Okay. Um, and then after leaving PA, I've gone into a, a head-of role. So the, just the difference in where I sit in, in the organization um, is it, quite vast. You know, I'm not I'm not by any means kind of super senior or anything like that. I, I, I would pretend to be, um, but it is when when compared to my previous experience in industry, a difference. Um, and and I had no experience of that beforehand. It's a huge challenge, um, but I look at it in a positive way because what what was bugging me about PA was that the work stopped feeling difficult. I stopped feeling like I was being challenged. And I started to feel too comfortable. And actually, I feel uncomfortable every day now. You know, I feel like I'm being challenged every day. And I feel like I'm getting more out of it every day than I was my last days at PA. Um, And everyone's experience is different. There'll be people that have stayed in in jobs like the one I had at PA for, for a much longer period of time and had great experiences and continued to learn. But just for me, it, it wasn't right. And and it's just now moving into this this new position, this new job, new way of working that I'm just experiencing something completely different. I, I think that's good. Uh, you know, it's a good thing. That, you know, for me, 
I think reasons why I get on is because you're you're pretty authentic, but you know you, you kind of say how it is, and you know you're not shy of saying actually I'm struggling here or or kind of you know I'm mm, I didn't see that, and actually that that kind of blindsided me a little bit, but you know it's kind of you learning, I guess. But I guess what's if if you had to give advice to someone who's in your position now and, and is debating whether to stay within their consultancy world, let's say, or debating mm-hmm. to go back into kind of a corporate world and listening to kind of, you know, your journey, what advice would you give them? I mean, I'd say do the thing that makes you feel more alive, the thing that scares you a little bit. And I, I think for most people that's changed. Staying where you are is easy. It's moving into into the unknown that's more difficult. But if someone had already got to the point where they've made that decision, they're going to move and try something different, I'd probably tell them, slow down there, buckaroo. Take your time. And don't worry about, you know, making a huge impact and, you know, buying into the idea that you need all these quick wins straight away. You know, it's actually, it's, I think it's underestimated how difficult it can be to move jobs. It's kind of always, see, there's a honeymoon period, obviously, but, you know, it, it's kind of seen as a more positive experience. Where actually, it, it for a lot of people, it can be quite difficult. Um, and I would say to, to anyone who's looking at, at moving jobs or thinking about moving jobs, to take their time with it. Don't hesitate because it's something you're scared about. That's not at all what I mean. I think they should definitely take the leap if it's if it's something that excites them but once they've taken that step they don't need to break into a into a sprint you know you can you can take your time and kind of gradually ease into that role because nine times out of ten that's going to give you a much better result okay okay that's, i think that's sound advice definitely so you know obviously going from kind of this um this kind of consultancy role and going back into kind of, you know, the role that you're in now. And and mm. I guess in the roles in between, you know, other roles before, what's what's the one bit of bad advice someone's give you? What's a bit of bad advice someone's yeah, given like, you? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and maybe it's, it's, maybe not, it's not necessarily professional, maybe it's kind of personal, I don't know. But like, yeah, maybe what's the one bit of advice what either someone's give you or you've overheard someone give to someone else? Mm, that's a good question. I'm gonna need to think about it just for a minute. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I guess. Oh, actually, actually, no, no, no. I've got one. I've got one. I've got a bad piece of advice that I was given actually. Okay. Um. So, so this was in. Um. Obviously, it wasn't in the company I'm in now, but I just won't name companies for this, given it's a slightly negative story. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure thing. Uh, it was about a year in to when I um, first joined them and I was going for my first promotion so so I went for my first promotion after about a year and um, when I was talking it through with uh, my line manager um, about what I could do to secure that promotion uh, his advice to me was your work's good um, so but it doesn't really matter. The main things that you have to do now are shave your beard, um, wear, wear a tie, I think, and be in the office more. 
um, which was a horrendous piece of advice. Um, but it depends how you look at it because I think I, I was just like, yeah, whatever, I, I, you know, I, I want the promotion um, and to have more booze money for the weekend. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whatever, I'll wear a tie, I'll be in the office. So I did it and I got the promotion. Um, but actually, it's really, really terrible advice to give. Maybe it was useful advice to receive, but it sucks as a way of doing things and a way of making decisions in companies that, you know, we're going to give someone a promotion because intuitively they feel more professional and more capable simply because uh, they don't have facial hair and they're wearing a cravat and, you know, they happen to be sitting near me four or five days a week. Um, it's just art. Okay, so, Bridge, I'm going to make an assumption here, but I'm going yeah. to say you sound like the type of person who's maybe been in trouble a little bit over time. And when I say in trouble, I don't mean like, with the police or anything like that but I guess going, going, looking at where you are now and kind of you know you know why you was in school can you remember the first time you ever got in trouble and actually what, what was that for I mean this can go right back to being a kid or anything like that what's the first memory what comes to mind of you being in trouble um I'm going a bit blank on the primary school stuff I must have got in trouble somewhere for something but I don't remember what um, and it, it's a strange oh, question last, to ask my last uh, so th this has just come to mind it might not be the first but my very last week of, of secondary school so I was, I was like in sixth form penultimate week or the, or the last week one of the two um, I think it was the last week actually uh, I, I punched a kid in the face and um he had to go get stitches and, 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 you know, there was, there was blood and stuff like that. Um, and I, and I got, um, suspended and this must've been like a Monday or something. And my last day was a Friday. Um, and I was suspended for the rest of that week. And then they let me back for the very last day so that I could finish up with, uh, the rest of my year. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember why, um, I did that. There was, there was a reason. It wasn't just kind of completely unprovoked or random. Um, I, I didn't make it all the way to year, year 13, just randomly punching people in the face down, <laughs> down the walls. There was a reason, but it was, it was a long time ago, and I don't remember now. Um, but, yeah, that struck me as something that I got in trouble for okay. at a young age. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So let's, let's flip it on its head then. So you being the adult now what you are, if I was to ask you to give... If you were to give a, a gift to a child, what, mm. what what gift would you give? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think I would veer away from giving them a, um, a, a present because, you know, we sometimes sort of think kids are quite easy to please, but actually, you know, the things that will kind of delight one child will be quite different to another. And, you know, I'm, I'm, um, very, very close and, and active in my niece's life. Who's, who's, um, 10 years old now, nearly 11. And, um, the last, I, I bought her a few things since, but the last major thing I bought her was a rug. And a rug is not something you'd think to buy a 10 year old child, but she came to my flat, saw my rug, really loved it and wanted a rug. So I got that, from her. but I think that the main the main kind of gift 
to, to give to a child is probably to play with them. Um, so we, in general, I think the way that we kind of raise kids is, or increasingly so, is that we, it's a balance between money and time. And I think we should be spending half as much money and twice as much time with them. And, you know, most children like to kind of enjoy themselves and have fun and, 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 and you know, whether it's playing video games or, or building Lego or whatnot, um, just taking part in something that they enjoy, I think would be the main gift, the gift of my time. Look at that. That sounds zen. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, <laughs> so all right. And so take away maybe, take away the fact of, you know, spending some quality time with your niece and stuff. When was the last time you, you played like a child? Like when was the last time, you, you know, you kind of played like our, our child does? When was the last time I played like a child? Um, so, I mean, so I spent uh, a week in Boston. I took my niece, incidentally, to visit some family there. And that was only a few weeks ago. And the family I was visiting have two kids. So you can imagine it's kind of, it's chaos. And um, there's lots of kind of play going around all the time. So actually, most days there, I was doing stuff like, you know, picking them up and throwing them in the air and catching them again, or, um, you know, playing with toy cars and all that kind of stuff. So actually, I kind of do it quite regularly, but I feel like maybe the question you're asking is, when have I done it for myself? Yep. Um, I mean, look, I occasionally throw the PlayStation on. I mean, you know, I'm, I may be officially an adult, but I'm still a boy sometimes. So, you know, I whack on the Call of Duty, shoot some peeps, pap some fools. Good man. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything else I've done recently that's really playful. But yeah, the thing that's springing to mind for me is I went to that, that um, ball pit, Bawley Ballison in, in Shoreditch. But actually, that was like a year and a half ago. Uh, and when I say it out loud like that, it feels like such a long time has passed since I last did something that was just ridiculous. And I, and I find this interesting, you know, and maybe maybe it's just... Let's just put it into a learning context. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, we need we need to play more. We need to play more." I'm like, "Okay, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you kind of, I mean, you know, play is kind of for me anyway. I see mm. players kind of just using your imagination. It might not necessarily be kind of play football, or whatever. Sometimes it's just kind of that giving yourself an experience. Your ball pit, for example, what you mentioned. Yeah. You know, recently I went on one of them zombie things. I mean, I wouldn't class it as play. It's probably one of the most intense experiences of my life. But it was kind of just taking me away from kind of adult life, so to speak. Mm. But, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And, you know, one of my close fri- friends, he plays with Lego all the time. And he's like, what, 20, 30, 30 yeah, about 30-ish. And he loves yeah. Lego even now as an adult. Yeah, I mean... But I, I, I kind of think that's great because for me, play, if you put it in a work context or you don't put it in a work context, it kind of doesn't matter. It's For me, it's kind of about going where your energy is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for some people that might be using your imagination, doing something quite creative. For other people, it might be, um, you know, just getting a tattoo or bungee jumping or playing PlayStation or whatever it is, actually. Um, but whatever excites you and kind of, 
brings out some of the characteristics that you associate with children, like kind of glee and delight and and being carefree. I think those are the things that really constitute play. It's not it's not what you physically do; it's how you feel doing it. Okay, so just to play, play devil's advocate. Mm. Maybe maybe this is on a past project or on a project you're working on right now. But when was the last yeah. time you incorporated play into a work project? I mean, maybe we could you could probably even flip the question to say, actually, what was the most enjoyable work project you've been on? Yeah, so um, I think the most enjoyable work project I've been on is uh, is working with uh, Johnson and Johnson. Um, I think I mentioned earlier it's out in out in New Jersey, um, and the thing that I really enjoyed about it, it was, it was hard work actually. It was the, the not just the 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 quantity of the work that we had to do in the time that we had, but also the the kind of intellectual challenge. But the thing that I really liked about about working there, well, a few things. One of them was the people, uh, clients, because this was a PA as a consultant. Clients could kind of make or break your experience of a project. And I can honestly say I've never worked with a group of people who I had a better time working with than my clients at Johnson & Johnson. They're amazing. Um, but the other thing that really, really stood out to me was they wanted you to do stuff the way that we talked about, you know, doing doing work versus strategic work. They, they obviously, it was kind of a given, they wanted you to be able to produce stuff and do stuff at the end of the day. But the other thing that they really wanted was they wanted to be challenged and they wanted to be out there and they really wanted to innovate. And for me, that was incredibly enjoyable because it was sort of a, you know, a natural partnership where we're saying, look, this is what we're trying to achieve and we're not set on how we do it. Let's just, you know, promise each other we're going to get there and we're going to do it in a way which we're going to be talking about on podcasts for years to come. Um, and and yeah, and there were there were lots of little elements of that project, rather than you know big things. I think that stand out as as kind of playful. But so an example is um, Nick Shackleton Jones and I were running a workshop with uh, in New Jersey with um, a lot of of the team there, the Johnson and Johnson team, and um we'd only spoken to them on on the phone or on Skype or whatever up until this point we were meeting them for the first time there so naturally you kind of think oh it might be um a little bit awkward at first we're still kind of getting to know each other um but actually and for some reason i don't know why we did this we didn't plan this but nick and i basically spent the workshop slyly digging each other out um and making and cracking jokes at each other's expense throughout the entire day um so so for example we were having lunch and and you know they put on this kind of uh, spread of food this buffet and i kind of picked something up put it on my plate and i was i was saying that my my girlfriend at the time um had been on at me about you know losing some weight but eating a bit healthier or whatever and nick um standing directly opposite me uh he's looking down at his plate while i'm saying this and without pausing even for a second or looking up to make eye contact with me he just goes yeah she has a point and then walks off <laughs> um and 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 the best part about it was over nick's shoulder was our main client who was sitting there typing on his laptop 
And I could see that he, um, when Nick said that, he just froze for a second. Just for a moment. He didn't look up or do anything. He just kind of froze for a second as if, what the hell did I just hear? Um, and it was it was interesting because Nick and I joked about it afterwards, about how um, those people were buying leadership work from us. And here's this guy who, you know, certainly in their eyes was, you know, my leader. Um, and, you know, he's making jokes about my weight. And, you know, I'm, I don't even think I'm that husky. So, you know. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, it's little things like that where we didn't take ourselves too seriously because we felt like we didn't have to in that environment and with those people. And we were all actually passionate about about doing what we were there to do. You know, I worked very long hours. Cause they're based out um, across the pond, so time time zones have an impact on when you work. I was working crazy hours. But you know what? I never felt bad about that. I never felt as if I were wasting time or uh, that I was regretful about it because I genuinely cared about what I was doing there. I, th- I think it's interesting kind of, you know, you kind of said something there which I find really interesting, not to take ourselves too seriously. And mm. I think, you know, when you look at kind of just maybe put it into a corporate environment for now, and I, I have been a, I have been bad for this as well in the past. Kind mm. of, you know, you get put into this corporate environment or you get put into an environment where you're like, hmm, I feel like I've got to be somebody else. Like I can't, you know what, for me, like I always have this thing of how I speak to you will be how I speak to you. I won't use posh words. I will just be normal. Like how you see me in my professional context will be how you see me in my personal. Um, and I know Bridge, you struggle with my accent sometimes. Um, but I guess I find it really interesting that even now there's still this thing of work is work and, and kind of, personal life is personal life and the two can't really blend over too much I mean don't get me wrong you see some companies which do this really really well but it's an interesting thing that you, you kind of mentioned you know not to take yourself too seriously and I think a lot yeah. of companies are starting to kind of like that more and more I guess yeah and I, th- I think you know it, it takes some time to kind of permeate through I mean we still talk we talk about authenticity a lot and you know, if you ask different people, they'll have different definitions of it. And I, um, I mean, I do think that professionalism in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think that professionalism and being yourself are kind of mutually exclusive. I think you can, you know, you can not take yourself too seriously and at the same time be professional. Uh, like so, you know, I, I feel like it shouldn't be taboo to say to someone, "I, I disagree." You know, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think that will work out the way that we're talking about it working out. But actually, you know, you're encouraged, either either really overtly or quite subtly, to express that opinion in different ways and not be straightforward with it. Um, to make sure that people don't feel like you're being too abrasive or that um, people don't feel like you're not listening to them and whatnot. Whereas actually, I think that that goes a step beyond being professional. Uh, that goes, that's what I would define as, as kind of corporate in the sense that we're not really being um, open and transparent and straightforward, where we're kind of, you know, to some extent, 
sussing out the politics and the way that things work in an unspoken way and navigating around those. And, and that, that entire system of, of working in that way is self-sustaining. It, it, it exists because we allow it to exist and everyone does it because everyone's scared of falling foul of it. But I actually think that you know the biggest threat to our, our well-being at work, our mental health, I think the biggest threat to our creativity at work is corporate culture. It's not, you know, the fact that we work a certain number of hours or a certain number of days. It's that, you know, the the norm, the social norm is that you, that presenteeism is important or that, you know, you don't turn up late and leave early or something like that. Whereas actually we, we talk a big game about, you know, being flexible with our work and working at different times and all of this kind of stuff. When, when in reality we can't help but fall back on some of those norms, some of those some of those things that take us a step beyond just being professional and, and intercorporate, and and actually to give credit where credit's due, um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how my current employer handles flexibility. Um, not something necessarily that um, was a huge factor for me in taking that job. I can see the impact it has on other people there and they've done that pretty well but even even there like everywhere there's still you know room for improvement and room to grow yeah I think it's a it's a weird one because someone asked me recently in fact it was literally yesterday someone asked me yesterday it was like they put a picture in and they said what do you think to this and, and in, in this work this environment they had don't be a dick on the wall <laughs> I'm like hmm that's great as an idea, but, you know, a lot of the times there's two things what I think is fundamentally flawed. One, businesses make assumptions that their values, everyone has to live by them. But fundamentally, mm. that's flawed because not everybody has the same values and it's it's an actual daft idea to assume that this is our values and our behaviours. And then, you know, putting something up like, don't be a dick, that's great. But what happens after three days when it just becomes background like we, we we put these values and behaviours up on a wall and we, we laminate them and we put them on a nice big board so everybody can see them. But after two days, it's kind of like, well, it's just a board. The, the message is gone. It's not important. And realistically, you know, the values probably don't really mean anything anyway. And then mm. add, on, and add on this fact of we put, you know, there's, there's, there's a massive industry on how to give feedback and stuff like this. And, you know, I was reading a book recently called Radical Candor. Um, but, and I just sat back and I thought, we just put so many filters on what we want to say. You know, by the time we've applied this seventh filter or eighth filter on what we want to say, the meaning of it is completely gone. And actually it's got so twisted and tightened up that it's never really delivered in the way it's meant to be delivered anyway. And it becomes watered down, weakened, kind of... It doesn't have, by the end, it doesn't have the intention of what it was meant to have at the beginning. No, I agree. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's easier to kind of misinterpret what people say when, they, when they've kind of layered it up like that as well. But it's kind of, I mean, that's almost what I mean by the fact that that kind of corporate culture is quite self-sustaining because as soon as someone says something in a way which isn't kind of diluted by six, seven or eight layers... It stands out more, and it and it and it might feel more confrontational. Um, and you know, I, I, my own experience, you know, I probably, 
I think outside of any criticism I have about about kind of corporate culture, I probably do need to do more myself to come across as less uh, abrasive or less confrontational. But I think that where I would say I've I've worked on that and I've now reached a level which is acceptable would probably still fall fall short of the of the kind of accepted norms that you find in most companies. And and I I mean I'd also agree with you around um, to some extent around values and behaviours. I think the idea that everyone shares all of your values as an organisation is you know it's pushing it a little bit um, in the sense that yeah how many values do we all have you know as a company we kind of mentioned three or four do we think that people only have three or four is it is it kind of an infinite number that they can have. Um, do we just kind of post-rationalize that either ourselves or someone that we're interviewing shares those values? But, you know, ultimately, the I don't even think it matters too much if you personally identify with a word that a company puts on their website. Some values can be different, but they'll still be aligned. You know, they, they, they won't be mutually exclusive. So, you know, you might see a value of you know, um, bravery or courage. And someone might not necessarily feel like courage is something that they they hold dear, but they might really strongly be motivated by the idea of doing the right thing. Um, and, and just because we don't necessarily see evidence of courage in someone's actions, do we not, do we not think that someone who does the right thing is equally important? Do we not think that that's that's still in the same kind of vague area it's still in the right direction so i mean different people have different views on these kind of values and behaviors conversations for me i think they they start to become a little bit of a existential crisis a little bit of navel gazing where we're kind of talking about stuff which which matters but i think there's other stuff that matters more do you know what i mean yeah, no, 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 definitely, definitely. I think there's one value what I've seen, and I don't, I don't really think it's a value. It's just kind of something what we live by. Um, Ideal, they have a value. I think it's a value anyway, or a statement. And they, one of theirs is we promote others. And I thought that's actually quite a cool. It's a cool thing to have. Um, you know, rather than saying you know we do the right thing or, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some of the other other values what I've seen in the past, but I just think actually one of them is is that you know we promote others is a great thing to have, but again you know I use this analogy of a couple of months ago well probably about a year ago actually it's mad me you lose track of time but I was driving past a school and outside this school they had you know the speed barriers you know what they put up in school so if a car crashes it hits some really strong kind of concrete post. Yeah. And, what, and what they did is they, they painted one of the concrete posts to look like a child. And the idea was is that, you know, if you're driving, you're driving up to it, what you do, what you see now is not a concrete post, you see something what resembles slightly as a child. Yeah. But fundamentally, the problem is with that is once you drive past it once or twice and you realise that that's not a child and it's a, a post, actually, it, if anything, it loses its value and it, it actually go it's a backward step. Because when there is a child there, your brain will automatically go, oh, it's that post. Mm. 
And it's a, and I think a lot of the values are exactly like that. They're the post, they're the thing what we put up and we we probably send out a comms email to say, hey, here's our new values and here's how it it's kind of aligns to every single touch point and whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm. But then, you know, like you say, life moves on and and other things become more important. Yeah, I guess, you know, like, the, the sorts of people whose job it is to define our values and behaviours and kind of spread them out into companies, I don't think it's the easiest job, actually, because you're basically, you'd have lots of different data points, lots of information, lots of different opinions, and it's a bit of an exercise, probably, to to try and sum that up in a way and bring it up a level yeah it's language which people can still kind of align behind you introduce a lot of subjectivity i think into the conversation because what by by having a single word summarize maybe 10 15 20 different people's opinions perspectives and experiences and views of what the future organization needs in terms of values by design you can't be very very clear with them they have to be left open for some interpretation and and if they're left open for interpretation how confident are we that everyone is really living them Mm. no no it's it's a good question it's a good challenge i mean you know i've done some work in the past with um trying to do this and 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 at the time i felt it was a bit of a flawed kind of problem to fix um Mm. because well it's just it's just one of them things you know and i guess your values change over time and some people obviously know they don't but i think they kind of do once you have more life experience and you know you have more engagement with the world and the people around you your values do i think over time change and it's it's weird to kind of say these values are kind of you know fixed in stone and and they're not adaptable. It's a strange one. Yeah, and actually, um, I think something. So again, I'm mentioning um, uh, Nick Baxter Jones, who um, I remember quite early on when I first met him. He got a bunch of us in a room together, and he had maybe a hundred or so different cards on the table. Um, Each of them had a different word on it. And some of those words you would probably think of as your more typical company values. Um, Things like, you know, uh, honesty and and inclusion and transparency and so on. But there were also some, some other really interesting words on there like family and love and um, autonomy and, 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 equality but i don't think he used the word equality i think he used something else um of fame glory lots lots of different things and asked all of us to pick out i think it was five that appealed to us as individuals and then to tell a story about about one of them um and he did that and i think continues to do that to this day because it helped him understand more about what makes that person tick and what it is that really motivates or that person cares about. Um, and the stories that, you know, we all told, the majority of them anyway, had no, nothing to do with work. You know, they, they were about our families or our friends or 
or major formative experiences in our lives and what they meant to us. And, you know, at the time I thought it was neat and, you know, actually um, I walked away from it feeling really kind of positive. But it was only until much later when I really came to understand what, what he talks about with effective context and the idea of um, all learning is driven by our emotion. Um, that I understood that what he was trying to do there was understand what our what our mountains are in our in our emotions. What are the really big things we care about? Because that's the way that he's going to, you know, uh, connect us to to the bigger picture. He's going to build on the things that we care about. Talk about things in the way that will will resonate with us. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm sure his starting point had nothing to do with the company's values and, and, and whatnot. He, he, he took a huge list and even said, you know, write your own if you want to write your own. Um, and actually, it really just stuck with me. I really remember it. And, you know, I hope to kind of do something similar myself, actually. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds, sounds pretty cool. I remember, again, with Nick, we, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. It might have been at a learning tech event or something. We had a chat. I think we met up for a brew or something and we got talking about kind of treating people, you know, right. And I think one of the guys said, oh yeah, I just want people to treat me like, um, treat people like I want to be treated. And he kind of, he kind of corrects him straight away, but no, you just need to treat people how they want to be treated, not treat me like you want to be treated. And it was just a little tweak and you just, you kind of look at the the statement completely different. Um, but yeah, no, it's, he's, yeah, he's good like that, I guess. The, I guess what what I'm thinking about now is just being mindful of your time, Bridge, because it's like 56 minutes in already. So I'm going to give you some fire round questions. Okay, okay. yeah, go for it. Cool. Okay, social media. Is social media um, a net positive or a net negative to society? Um, uh, net positive. Okay, why? Um, I think that although it has huge cons and huge downfalls, it is... Um, allowing us to remain more connected and more, if we choose to embrace it, more aware of what's going on in the wider world. Um, I think a lot of that is kind of contingent on um, some of the larger social media companies being responsible with the way that we are provided with personalized content. But overall, I think it is shining a light on areas which um, perhaps would have remained hidden for a lot longer 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Okay. So, Bridge, do you support football? Do you, What team do you support, sorry? I'm not really a football fan, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, let's just use, I don't know, basketball, whatever. You come okay. out of the stadium, yeah? And, yep. you know... Life has been good to you. You're a millionaire and you went out free. No, you went out one big billboard, okay? And on that billboard, you can put a statement up there, maybe some words, whatever, and millions of people are going to see this this billboard. What do you put up on there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, what do I put up there? Maybe something like, Someone please buy Danny a new hoodie because his one is terrible. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I think, um, what would I put up there? What the hell would I put up there? Okay. Um, ooh. 
see there's a part of me that just wants to do something silly like put a meme up there and then there's a part of me that wants to say something profound okay <laughs> okay maybe a profound meme like a Nicolas Cage meme would be great yeah okay now, what, what would I actually put up there I think I would put up there you know wake up challenge everything ask questions don't be afraid okay I like that I like that so if okay here's another deep one and you know I guess in fact let's do a quick one what's the three biggest problems you're facing in your professional role right now and when I say biggest problems I mean in you, not you personally but like what's your three biggest challenges in your role right now as a business maybe if you like um, so I can maybe you describe them as in from a from a kind of learning and development perspective. What are the what are the big biggish things? Yep. So I think um, one of them is the kind of experience we're giving people when they first join the company. Um, so you know our kind of our mandatory learning. I think um, that experience needs to be improved, and also we need to do more to help new joiners kind of settle in. So I think that that entire that early stage of the employee life cycle and how we support them, a lot of which isn't necessarily learning in in, in the truest sense, um, is is something I'm definitely thinking a lot about. Um, I think that another area is um, how we encourage people in the company to make the most of the opportunities that they have available to them. So, you know, not, not just to think of, of learning as, as something that happens when you go into a classroom and there's someone standing up in front of you talking and that actually it, it, it's about, you know, your own experiences, the challenges you face and what you can do every single day to push yourself. Um, so that's definitely another one. And then a third one would probably be just creating a great digital experience for our employees. So, you know, I, I've got a, a small part of that in terms of building a digital learning platform, but actually it, it's a drop in the ocean, I, I guess, compared to the kind of experience we get in our personal lives outside of work, where everything can be done for your mobile at, at your fingertips to the kind of world that most of us work in, in, in kind of corporate organizations that something that's certainly on my mind is how how we, we don't just make these kind of small incremental improvements and try and catch up with the experience we have outside of work, but how we fully and properly get ahead of it if we can, but at the very least match it. Okay. Okay. So if I was to say to you, right, Bridge, you have to give a gift of a book to five people, what book would you give? Ooh, okay. Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, I mean, Nick's book's out now, isn't it? So I'm sure he'll he'll thank me if I'm like, yeah, how people learn. You can find it on Amazon. But I'm not going to do that because I've, I've done enough free promo for him. Um, I, I, what book would I give? Um, 
So any five people, I don't get to know how old they are or anything like that. This is this is just anyone, right? Correct. Anyone, okay. Um, I would give them... So I read a book recently. Uh, yeah, there's always a risk that I just talk about things that I've read recently because they're things that s stick in my mind. But there's, there's two, and I'm just going to talk through them both, and then I'll decide which one. Okay. So I, I mean, I read them, like, one of them about 18 months ago, one of them probably two years ago. Um, and the first one is Norwegian Wood by Murakami, uh, who's a Japanese author. And um, it's a story that I, I, I won't do justice to by trying to describe, but it was just a book unlike anything I've ever read. So it's fiction. Um, I'm not a big non-fiction reader, um, but it is fiction, and it it, it just it, it just kind of showed me a different way of thinking. That, as in the character, the main character, the protagonist in that book, just seems to think and feel and live his life in a way which is completely different to anyone I've come across. Um, but because his life is is not extraordinary. It, it, they're not events which are kind of, you know, fantasy and dragons and Game of Thrones style stuff. It's it, it's kind of real day to day. It, it's so much. It stands out as something remarkably different for me. I don't know if I'm doing it justice. I feel like it's it's one of those things that you have to kind of read it for yourself and see if it see if it resonates with you. I can imagine some people would just hate it. Um. And then the other book, I think, would be um, Freedom uh, by Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Franzen, uh, American author. Uh, it's quite a long book, and it's all about the middle class in America, and it follows in deep detail um, a family, uh, an American family, and how their lives change over a period of time. Um, and it was just a, a, you know, an incredible kind of character study of those people. Um, and I think, you know, under the surface of it describes and hints at um, a lot of what's lacking in Western culture and the Western world, uh, a lot of what we've lost and, and, and failed to, re to reconnect with. And uh, to some extent, also a lot of the hypocrisy that we probably deal with day to day. Again, possibly not that well, well described, but they're two books me which make me feel rather than think i didn't i didn't come away from it thinking about it lots and lots because i don't think that 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 stays with you so much um kind of examining the plot and looking for different things and, and focusing very much on um what happened in the book it, I, I didn't walk away with that kind of experience at all. I walked away with much more of an experience of feeling slightly different, slightly, slightly changed, having read both of those things. Um, so those those would be the books. If I had to kind of pick one, I'd probably go with Freedom by Jonathan Franzen, just because it's um, it's a little bit less marmitey, I think, than Norwegian would. Okay, okay. I will I will um, put links in them books in the show notes as well. So good news hey. is Bridge. We've got one more deep question and then two light questions and then we are done. Okay. So are you ready for a deep one? Yeah, shoot. Do you even like yourself? 
Do I even like myself? Ooh, that's deep. Um, do I even like myself? Yeah, I think there are aspects of myself I like and there are aspects of, my, of myself that I don't, definitely. Um, I uh, am I'm quite critical of myself and quite hard on myself. Um, but ultimately, when I'm, when I'm in a decent kind of frame of mind and stepped away from the kind of uh, the relentlessness of, of, of day-to-day work or whatever it may be, I kind of look at my life and go, yeah, I've, I've done all right. I've done better than I thought I would. And, you know, overall, I'm happy. Um, I don't know if anyone really, truly likes themselves. I don't think you can spend as much time with anyone as you do with yourself and not start to find certain things irritating. Um, and definitely the older I get, the more moments I have where I'm like, it's like watching a car crash where something happens and I know full well, my mind just telling me, don't react in this way, but I just can't help it. Uh, and then, you know, afterwards I'll be like, oh, Bridge, why did you do that? You know, you knew you shouldn't do that. You promised yourself you wouldn't do that. Um, why can't you commit to to doing these things in a different way? So there are definitely, definitely moments where I'm like, fuck that guy. But then there are lots of moments where I'm like, yeah, it could be a lot worse. I could be Danny Seals. Oh, God, these birds. <laughs> You're coming deep today, Rich. So yeah, I, had, yeah, I had you on tender hooks right up until the last minute. And then I, I dropped that. And yeah. the Boom. So okay, some easy questions. One, who's a free people? Who, who, what, who are the free people you recommend people should be following? Following. Uh, okay. I guess we're talking learning here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's use yeah. it. Yeah. Quite large, quite large. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I think that. Um, hmm. So I think a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people say Nick. So I'm not going to say Nick because probably a significant part of your listenership already follow him. Um, And by saying I'm not going to follow him, I've kind of mentioned him anyway. More free promo for him. Um, I would probably say that... I would say that... So I think Charlie Neen is has his best years ahead of him in the learning world. Um, I know he's done some cool and interesting stuff already. Um, and, he, and he's doing some different stuff now over at Performance Consultants in, um, International, but... I sort of feel like there's a bit of a hunger in him to do something quite radically different. Um, and I think it would be interesting to kind of watch how that progresses. Okay. I don't know what that will be yet. I don't know what, I don't think he knows what that will be yet, but I, you get a sense from people of, of, you know, what they're heading towards. And I think that he'd be an interesting person to watch. Um, I think that. Another person. So probably um, Brian Greer, who was um, the client of Johnson & Johnson I mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, so this guy is over in the US. And actually, 
the, the L&D community, certainly in the UK, doesn't seem to stretch across that far to the US. You know, people will have some contacts, but there's, there's probably in some kind of parallel American universe right now, the American Danny Seal, the American Bridge Bleacher, but it'll be the other way around. You'd be the southerner and I'd be the northerner over there. Um, having a conversation about uh, people who work in learning in the US and, you know, none of us would probably be coming up in those conversations either. So I mentioned him because I think that he's got a real um, passion and an interest in in pushing the boundaries in learning and doing things that people haven't done before and experimenting. Um, you know, he's particularly interested in things like leadership, but I think he's got a really healthy attitude and, and way of working and mindset that you don't often see in learning. He's not afraid to kind of do things slightly differently um, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and then number three, who's a third person? Who is a third person? It's tough. I would maybe say you, Danny, if you weren't actually um, on, you know, hosting the podcast, because everyone will have heard of you then. Um, and 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 not not because you say anything of substance, quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. But um, because you talk about things that other people aren't talking about. Um, and I think that that's that's worth paying attention to. Okay. So, so you are, I mean, you can't help obviously, but talk about some of the things that everyone in learning talks about, but you take a different perspective on them and you talk about, you talk about those things very differently and then you talk about different things as well. Um, so you're, you're, you're a lot more focused on, you know, I, I haven't heard someone talk about service design in the learning space in ages. Like it's just, it's just been forever. I don't even know if I've ever heard it. I've heard, you know, I've heard people talk about it. I'm not even sure if it was in a learning context. But you know, the fact that you talk about those things stands out to me to some extent. Um, nice one. I'll take as that. I said, as I said, no substance. But you know. Yeah, I mean. Baby, baby steps. You'll get there. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's just lifting shift from Google anyway. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna pretend it's that, but yeah, it's fine. It's just Google with a Northern accent. This is it. This is it. <laughs> So, okay, so I guess last question then, Bridge. All right. So at the start, I asked you what your logline was and you, you talked about kind of tattoos and, and kind of corporate kind of, you know, your, your take on that. Yeah, yeah. What four pieces of advice would you give to you knowing what you know now to stop that being an issue? Um, stop getting tattoos would be one, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um. What four bits of advice would I give myself? I think, um, I think the first would be um, never stop trying to find your tribe. So, you know, if you feel slightly out of place in a corporate context, if I felt that way, I would always encourage myself, the piece of advice I would give myself is, you know, don't close yourself off to other things and resign yourself to um, the environment that you're working in. Definitely stick with it, learn from it, contribute, do good work, but you know, 
keep looking outside of it as well. It's not just your nine to five where you have to, where you have to, you know, feel like you're amongst all of your like-minded people. Um, it, it can be that you, you, you have a more balanced life and, and, and you look for inspiration in different ways. Um, I think another would be don't be too hard on yourself, even when, uh, even when you're not you're not feeling like you're in the right environment or your your. When I say right environment, I guess what I mean is if I I'm prone to the occasional faux pas in the corporate sense, and what I guess I'm I'm hinting at and saying is I should. I should uh, not treat those things as failure. Um, I shouldn't be hard on myself for making a mistake. I should be looking at that mistake and going, well, how could I learn from it? But also, how can I find other situations that bring me up where those ones bring me down? So those two things, definitely. Um, I think a third would be Don't don't stop saying stuff which is a little bit controversial. Just be mindful of the way that you say it. So I think, you know, we do still need fresh ideas and different thinking. And, you know, I, I need to continue to kind of contribute ideas. But I also need, and I, I, need, I know I need to work on this, I need to um, make sure that, I am approachable enough for people to share ideas with me that perhaps they think I wouldn't be open to because it isn't all about, you know, what can other people do to accommodate me kind of back to the point that you were making about what Nick said. It's about treating people how they want to be treated. Um, I, I would probably encourage myself if I'm giving myself advice to make sure that I am creating an environment where people feel like they can come and be open and honest with me because I I want an environment where I can be open and honest with them. So I, I should definitely be doing the same thing back. Um, and yeah, that last one was um, don't stop saying the controversial things, just focus on the way that you say them. Okay, perfect. Well, Bridge, one hour 16, I think um, we can call that a wrap. It's, a, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, I know I'll be seeing you shortly anyway. But yeah, mm -hmm. where, can, where can people find a little bit more about you and kind of what you're up to? Hmm. Um, I mean, I occasionally post cynical things on LinkedIn. Um, and I don't really use Twitter. Instagram is probably the uh, the best representation of my life. It's basically dogs and food. Um, uh, two things I care about. Uh, but if people want to follow me from a work perspective, then I would probably go with uh, LinkedIn. Um, just don't try and sell me stuff uh, through LinkedIn because I, I more or less never reply. Okay, sound advice. Sound advice. Well, Bridge, mm. that's it. We are done. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Cheers, Bridge. I'll catch you later. All right, thanks. Bye.